After, oh, I was going to say afternoon, mate, but um, good evening. Good evening, good evening, good evening. So we got, obviously, Martin was the first one queuing up. Straight on, like, straight on. It was like a scene from, you know, they, when they bring out a new Star Wars movie or a new, a new, a new iPhone. <laughs> They've been camped, camp, camped out for two nights thinking, oh, better, better make sure it's uh, a get in first. That's it. So... I guess a few people will start popping in soon and whatnot. So I guess we'll just do the format as being a bit of a. Uh, on this Gorav, he can he can probably join in as well. Yeah, that'd be a good <coughs> one to have a chat about the lentils. What's going on? Yeah, what's what's, what's going on in pulses? Fantastic. But, uh, so the the general format is we're going to use this as a podcast later because it saves us well, it saves us work, and so we'll do a quick market update, uh, the big things that we've seen this week. And then we will uh, go on and just have a general chinwag with people. So if anyone wants to jump on and have a chat with us or ask a question, um, did you want to run through, I noticed last time, Andrew, in our first iteration of this live podcast, um, we didn't quite explain how you can jump on and have a chat, although some, you know, some kind of almost knew it intuitively. But if anyone of the early group is listening and they're not quite sure what to do to jump on, do you know the process? Uh, actually, don't. Uh, I think that there's a button somewhere. Like I can only see it because I'm a speaker, but there should be a button at the bottom somewhere where you can raise your hand. Yeah, is it like a request? I think it's a request button. Some, yeah, that's right. It's a request yeah. button, so you can, you know, we're all adults here. You can, I'm sure you can work it out if you want to pipe in and press the re press the request button, and then we'll see it hopefully, and then. Uh, we can invite you as a speaker. I think you just have to accept as being a speaker and then you're off to go. As long as your microphone's off mute, off you go. Yeah. Uh, right, oh, so market update. <clears throat> What's happening yep. in cattle? Uh, look, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting week for quite a few stats. We started off with the live export numbers came out for uh, January and that was showing uh, a really slow start to slaughter and feeder cattle into Indonesia and particularly into Vietnam, which um, we've had a bit of competition from Brazil towards the end of 2021 and we've seen a noticeable decline in volumes into Vietnam since that competition's emerged. Um, but the big one, I guess, uh, in terms of numbers was a really strong start for the Chinese breeder, like those dairy breeders that go to China, the strongest January flows um, since uh, since the records started, I guess, um, 11,100 or so head uh, for the month. So really good start. It'll be interesting to see how that develops over the uh, over the course of the season. Um, that, that market can be a little bit choppy. There are some months where they don't take any, and then there's other months where they engage with us. So, um, But yeah, interesting to see. Um, but we had, as the week progressed, we had um, ABARES release the slaughter data, uh, the quarterly slaughter data. There was a, a big revision for some of the sheep and lamb uh, figures going back at quite a few quarters, which caused a bit of uh, scratching of heads amongst some analysis teams, I think, uh, that you can have such big revisions going so far back, but we managed to sort through it. Um, both of those slaughtered numbers show that we're still pretty much in right in the midst of the herd and flock rebuild, confirming that. Um, that, that for the herd, we're down to 43.4% for the December quarter, which if anyone listening that looks at the stuff we put out there, 47% is the, the threshold between liquidation and uh, and rebuild. And so below 47%, we're in rebuild. And the, the further down you go towards that low 40s, we're getting a stronger and stronger rebuild. So 43.4 is a good signal that 
you know, we're, we're rebuilding the herd. And um, with regards to the flock, that, that adjustment I spoke about to the ABS numbers meant that um, it's not as strong a, a rebuild in the sheep flock, but it's still pretty strong. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the original low uh, when the, before the numbers got updated, Andrew, was about 8.3%. Um, and the threshold for the sheep turnoff ratio is about 14%. So that 8.3 was the lowest we'd seen it on record, and that occurred in the September quarter of 2021. But um, with the revision to the ABS data, it's kind of changed all that totally. So now we're seeing the low in the sheep turnoff ratio at 8.9% in the June quarter of 2021. And we're now sitting at about 10%. Um, but so still, yeah, 10% still four percentage points below the threshold. So still a strong rebuild uh, for the sheep flock. If we stay at 10% for this year in terms of that sheep turnoff ratio, that would suggest that we're going to see the increase to the flock of you know around nearly 7%, which I think MLA are forecasting closer to 5% for this year. Um, and look, it, it may be the case that that turnoff ratio continues to creep up for the rest of this year or into the middle of the year, and, it, and that'll mean that you know the, the strength of the rebuild won't be as strong, but we'll just keep an eye on that and see how it goes. It's probably a bit early days to, to make a forecast right now to say we're going to see a much stronger flock rebuild than what MLA are, are suggesting. Um, but they've been the big things. That, that Price-wise, market hasn't moved much. It's really been a, a big a big week for data this week. Um, what about, what about, we've had what about, some... What, what, what about, I, I've also read somewhere, and you can tell me, I thought this was basic stuff, but you can mm. tell me if, that if you, uh, that basically the, the herd rebuild is going to be based on what happens in the, uh, the north of the country, yeah? So uh, yeah, so because well, so, so, a lot of people listening aren't, aren't cattle people. Yep, you know. So so, what what's going to make what's going to drive that cattle herd? Yeah, well, in terms of the overall Australian herd, about forty seven percent are situated in Queensland of the herd, uh, and and um, so yeah, obviously what happens up in the north. Uh, is very is very important for the for the overall herd just because of the sheer numbers that are up there in Queensland, um, and that's that was one of the factors actually that was taking time for the rebuild to begin in earnest was that those northern kind of producers you know, weren't weren't looking to engage as much uh, in the restocking last year, but certainly towards the end of the year and into the start of this year they've they've kind of re engaged significantly. And look, there were some areas. Uh, in, in central western Queensland and stuff, that, that there, there were some pockets that were still in drought, if you believe that, um, last season, I think. So, you know, we, but we're starting to see, I think, you know, that, that dissipate. I always get nervous, Andrew, when we talk about areas that are in drought or areas that are getting a lot of rain because there's, all, there's always somewhere, isn't there, that's, um, that's not getting the amount of rain they want or are in drought, even though other parts of the country are doing really well. And, and so, you know, we often get people saying, it's not, uh, not raining where I am, but... Um, but you know, look, it, broadly speaking, um, if you look across the whole of the state of Queensland, they're very much now focused towards rebuild, and and that's flowing through to the national numbers. So um, it's looking, uh, you know, it's looking pretty positive for, for us to start to try and get some numbers up, and that'll that'll mean production up as well, and uh, enable us to export more. And I mean, it, you know, it may lead eventually to a bit softer pricing in the cattle market um, domestically, but um, I don't think we're going to be getting down to the levels we saw, you know. Um, kind of pre-2015 numbers. I think we're, we're in a, a, new, a new level for cattle pricing, as we are with sheep and lamb. We're at new levels that are going to maintain, I think, for a good number of years. Right. Oh, well, give a, well, we'll try and move through it quickly so we're not yep. boring people with market stuff. No, well, but the, the uh, glyphosate 
announcement was a bit of a out of the out of the box one, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I reckon that's the interesting one is that just farm inputs just cannot get a break this year. You know, so uh, basically, in uh, one of the one of the suppliers of raw materials uh, that's used to produce glyphosate uh, has had a breakdown. Uh, clearly, a major mechanical breakdown uh, because. It's going to take about two to three months to to repair. Was there any was there any indication? I know there was some you know kind of one page letter that was sent out, um, but was, has there been anything on it as to what what's been the cause of it, or there's no been no real clarification as to what's happened? It's just no. Nah, there's, there's there's been no. Uh, uh, there's, I haven't seen anything, but I don't think it. I guess it doesn't really matter, really. Mm. Like like whatever it is, it's clearly quite major. Mm. And so what's basically what's happened is that they're going to struggle to meet a lot of their supply orders. And so that's, that's a bit of an issue because we've had all these sort of uh, challenges with inputs this year already, you know, expensive uh, fertilizer, expensive uh, diesel, expensive labor, whatnot. But I think one of the, the sort of key things from it is that we've probably dodged a bullet in Australia to an extent because a lot of the glyphosate that we need for this sort of key period, it's actually already either on the way or it is already in the country. Basically, I think from a bit of a few chats with a couple of retailers and whatnot, you know, you're really talking sort of, you know, right through to the sort of the middle of the year, mm-hmm. and that, that June onwards. Uh, so so we're, we're all right, actually. But I think if you were somewhere in uh, the likes of... Uh, like sort of the US or, or Europe where their purchasing is not quite as far ahead, uh, that might be a bit more concerned. But I think for the time being, we're probably not too bad. Uh, it makes a change usually, you know, usually we're sort of uh, uh, you know, our end of the world where it becomes the hardest. Uh, but no, so that's, that's another interesting one, just another little hiccup uh, to global supply chains, which we sort of experience on a pretty, pretty regular basis these days. Yeah, and so um, we've had that, but there was also a bit of a um, an issue, or I, I, when I say an issue, it was probably a positive, I guess, around um, lentils and an announcement with lentils too. What was the go there? Yeah, well, I'm going to give you a, uh, I'm going to give you a very, very short uh, update on this because Gorav is he sent me a message to say he's uh, he's having his lunch, mm-hmm. uh, so he says in 20 minutes he'll come on. Right, yeah. Uh, uh, so you got to let him have his lunch. Yeah, no. I wonder if it's a if it's a lentil lunch or whether he's. Uh, I know. Um, I know Gaurav's Gaurav's based out of India, but I'm pretty sure they'd be having. They'd, he'd be right to have black pudding, wouldn't he? No, he no. He's he's, he's 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 a lentil boy. Oh, really? Uh, so so when we anyway, basically uh, there was a lentil tariff into India. Uh, it's been removed. Uh, sort of as a bit of a bit of a surprise uh, to I think everyone involved. Uh, so I'm going to leave that though. I'm going to leave that for Gorav when yep. he, uh, if he can't make it on it, then I will. Uh, You'll I will elaborate check. then. I'll elaborate then. But mm-hmm. he's he's the expert. Uh, he's uh, he's the global leader in uh, in policies. So we're going to we're going to leave that for him. But basically, good news for for Australian farmers. Uh, but just a little bit of time to see how long it takes for it to actually flow through because still a lot of logistical constraints in uh, in getting containers out and and. That is a big, major challenge uh, ongoing. Mm-hmm. I think. I think the only other major thing this week is, you know, again that market is being a quite topsy turvy when it comes to wheat. Uh, we've got, um, 
you know, really, really large rise, uh, as uh, as Biden said, the invasion was going to occur soon. Uh, the Russians were coming, and they were coming soon, and uh, so that pumped the market up uh, over the weekend. You know, fifteen Aussie dollars a ton up. Uh, we've probably given back all of that uh, in the last couple of days. Uh, I guess the only thing it's sort of uh, also impacting is the fact that uh, our Aussie dollars risen a fair bit in the last week as well. And that's off the back of there being a bit of uh, a bit of uh, you know trepidation. You know, the, the, are the Russians returned to the base? You know, there was reports this morning of mortars being you know flung around the place in uh, in the uh, in the sort of what do you call it? Uh, Donbass. Yeah, that's it. The area. Yeah, I just saw that on Twitter pop up. Um this afternoon that there was reports of mortars or shelling has that been confirmed or i know it reminds me sometimes with these things that come out in these tense periods going back to the days trading currencies and and in those times it was um prior to the uh you know prior to the euro so i'm showing my age a little bit there and so and you used to have um and don't, obviously don't, don't worry there's other ways you can show your age just by i'm sure put a picture up you know, yeah tell us how we used to use a slate to write on at school <laughs> <laughs> and um but uh it was going back to the days when when yeltsin was the uh was the russian president boris boris, boris yeltsin the other boris that leads a country not the current boris that's a bit of a buffoon um and so yeltsin and at the time there, there used to be i reckon there was a period of time for about three years where every six or seven months there was a rumour that hit the market that Yeltsin had died because he was a notorious, uh, notoriously fond of uh, a little bit of vodka, I think. And, um, and yeah, if you looked at him, he, he did have that kind of appearance of sometimes your drunk uncle at Christmas and maybe too many, um, too many uh, cured meats and, and, and a potential for a heart attack candidate with uh, the alcohol and whatnot. So... Um, there, there were lots of times where there was announcements, Yeltsin dead, hit the, hit the news wires and the currency markets would go berserk and then it'd have to be confirmed that he was still very much alive. Um, and it feels a bit like that with this Russian... Uh, like I, think, I think that, but it's always the same. Whenever there's any sort of tension, there's always going to be, it only takes a, a firework to, to, to get the market going. And maybe the, everyone's got inf access to information so much easier nowadays. And, it, and, it just, and we saw a bit of a reaction to that today. You know, it was up $6 at one point. And so, you know, maybe it's just a, another sort of example of that. Mm. Speaking uh, of speaking of of like, just as a bit of a segue, of people keen on the odd bit of um, you know spirits, like a Yeltsin style, sit back and have a little bit of a spirit uh, in your afternoon or evening. Um, I think we've got Ryan Milgate. I, I um, want before Ryan, Ryan. You'll have to put yourself off mute. So that's the button on the bottom left. <laughs> But before before, before we introduce Ryan, one of the things we've got to say is that Ryan is the most famous person <laughs> that we know. Yeah. Well, where, you, where are you going with this one? Because because Ryan was a co-star. Oh yes. In, in, in yes. A, in an Oscar-nominated film. Yes. With with what's his face? Uh, and Eric, uh, Eric Banner. Eric Banner. And, and, and he got in a fight with him. And the scene the scene was actually surprise surprise. In a pub, right? In, so in a, very, a, very Yeltsin-like in uh, in terms of the where where the scene was, right? Well, it, it, it was just method acting, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, you know, Ryan in a pub getting into a bit of biff. Like, I'm not going to say he's typecast, but 
<laughs> That's great. Ryan Milgate, welcome to our <laughs> welcome to our live podcast. You, and you have actually been a podcast guest in a in a, in a previous podcast, of course, when we were um... Is this a podcast or a sledging session? <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, uh, the, the live... We haven't even started yet, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> the live ones are potentially a little bit more loose than the uh, recorded ones, even though there's not much editing, if any, to the recorded ones. Um, for some reason, the feeling of live just... Uh, maybe it excites Andrew and I and we just go a little bit silly. No, it's just because we tanked, tanked 12 beers before we came on it. Snake hunting. Oh, don't... <laughs> Don't don't get me started on that because my blood pressure is already so high. I'm just looking out the window to see if I can see one. I, I did find it, by the way, Ryan. It was a baby one. Like you, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so it's out there. It's out there. <laughs> so like for the so for the people that don't know who you are, Ryan, I'm sure there's only one or two in the whole of agricultural Australia that don't know. But you best kind of give us a very quick summary of, of who you are and what you do, including the Beyond Farm Gate role that you have. Um, I'll keep it simple. Uh, yeah, farm in the Wimmera um, at a very famous place called Minyup. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're a lentil grower, so I'm, I'm very interested to hear a bit more later on on the, the tariff that's been taken off this week. Um, and uh, sort of also involved a bit in the, in the VFF, so somehow I get... Um, People ring me for opinions and stuff, and I'm not sure that's a great idea. But anyway, that's what I do. I, um, yeah, sort of put my head up in places where maybe I shouldn't sometimes, and yeah. And last time we had you on, we were talking shit for a bit, as in as in manure, and then we were talking the, the state of the roads and, you know, the rail-type transport issues that is one of your pet peeves. But what's been going on since then? How, how, how much has the roads improved in the last oh, year? fantastic. Um. So, yeah, I've been in the truck today, so I've had another good day on the roads, and you wouldn't believe it, but on the way home, um, I'm going to take a guess. I'm going to take a guess. Did it? Yeah, it's been all happening. A green truck, or just. No, I just truck load of cash. I just drive around and (laughs) drive around. Yes, um, well, might as well have been a truck load of cash. I delivered some grain and bought some fertilizer home. Yeah. Jeez, oh, expensive loads. Might as well be carrying, you know, gold bullion. But so, 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 so you said like you so, the shops a bit. Yeah. So, so you, I'm modern, mate. I use my iPhone. Uh, but the, uh, the, so the, there was a there was a truck crash at uh, Horsham. Was a yeah, da- I, was was it a bad one or? Um, no, not bad, but um, bad enough. Yeah, if you hit a train, bad enough. Yeah, a truck was across the crossing and. Well, the truck wasn't on the crossing, his trailer was, and it was a passenger train decided, yeah, collected him on the way through. So it wasn't bad, but um, my driving the truck wouldn't say it was good either. So what's, so what's the, at the moment, the VFF, you know, you guys are doing your thing. What's the, what's the end result? You've got an election coming up, have you not, this year? And so coming up. What's the what's the process? Try and get people to big uh, Danny boy, Danny Andrews, to uh, to uh, put some money into roads. Well, that's that's the ultimate aim. Um, I'm not sure about how realistic that is, but um, we're uh, bobbing our head up. So I bobbed my head up there last week, the week before, and invited the 
agriculture minister and the roads minister that come for a drive in the truck with me and um that hasn't eventuated yet but so i'm going to keep at him for a little bit about that too um yeah so we we're bobbing up and we're making ourselves heard um yeah we've sort of just got to keep beating the drum i guess what's the uh well, you'll, you'll get where you get to, but it's always difficult to get money out of the government. Uh, in terms of, in terms of, so we're coming up for seeding, yeah. What mm -hmm. is what, the rainfall's been decent in your neck of the woods? Uh, very patchy, very patchy. There's been some summer rain, some areas are dry, some are wet, or you know, some have got reasonable subsoil. Yeah, it's all all over the shop at the moment. J January, earlier January seemed a lot better than the latter part and then into feb it's kind of we haven't had much it has been like you said it, like there's that, that thunderstorm type activity that can be a bit hit and miss i know we've had a few where i thought oh beauty the the, the water tank's going to fill here and then and then it just dissipates and goes around you rather than over the top of you is what i've found um you know in the last few you know three to four weeks is it the same where you are ryan yeah been very patchy we've had even across our little patch here we sort of varied 25 to 30 mil from one end of the farm to the other and it'll be raining <laughs> raining and you drive two k's up the road and it's not and yeah no it was an interesting sort of seven to ten days and we had that sort of moisture flowing around the system a bit yeah well you know you, you've had plenty of good years you know you've got all these lentils you've got all these lentils that are worth a fortune now so which is a, probably a good segue it is because yeah, uh, good timing there to, to just start speaking lentils because I see Gaurav has, um, has joined gonna, us. So, Ryan, I'll keep you on as a speaker just now, but Gaurav. Hi, everyone. Uh, uh, hi, Andrew. How, how are you so doing? So, I'm good. And uh, in the lunch, I had green peas today, not lentils. <laughs> well, 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 maybe you should be having lentils and then... It, There'll be extra, extra consumption, and then there'll be more imports from Australia. Absolutely, but India is yeah. India is going to have a big crop this year. So, yeah, yesterday only India released its uh, advance estimates for the first time for lentils, and uh, the number is uh, a record. So, one point five eight million tons, a new record for the country. So, so India is going to have a record crop, and then you and then you decide to also drop the tariffs so you can bring more in. Yeah, that is but, that is surprising. Why? That is surprising. So, did before we kick into that? Before we kick into that, Gaurav, did you want to just give um, the listeners a quick, a very quick rundown of, of who you are and what you do? Those that don't know uh, the TEM website, which shouldn't shouldn't be anyone on this podcast, but um, you do write occasionally for us on that in in the Pulse's Facebook. What's your actual day job when you're not when you're not doing that stuff for us? Right. So far, um, uh, so I run Eggpulse Analytica. So we publish reports on uh, agriculture, including pulses, uh, out of India. But our, uh, our focus is global. So we write about Canada, Australia, Turkey, Black Sea, India, Europe, Pakistan. So that is what we do. We analyze the markets on supply and demand. And um, for supply, we have our own model to predict the yield in the country. And uh, we have been quite successful with Australia this year, despite the record crop. Uh, and uh, for India also, our numbers are very close to what government has said it's in first estimate. So for this is for the supply. For demand, we rely on the trade data. We rely on the consumption patterns evolving around the world. And that is how we come to conclusion of uh, where the price are headed or where the 
trade flows are headed from which country to which country so interestingly uh, uh, china is knocking the do doors again for australian peas and this can be a very good year for uh, australian caspa and other peas uh, prices are quite high and the demand from australia is unsatiable so <clears throat> yeah that's what i do so so the give us a give us a bit of a rundown uh, what so what happened on sunday with the with the tariff <laughs> so india had um, uh, removed a, a basic duty in july last year but uh, there was a cess which was 10% and a surcharge on uh, of 10% on total tax so total of 11% was the import duty on lentils from everywhere other than us the us uh, because of the trade war the duty was capped at 33% for australia and canada and turkey and russia and kazakhstan so duty was 11% kazakhstan was anyways not allowed uh, in india now it is allowed just uh, yesterday only so this sunday india removed that duty also that surcharge also now the duty is effectively zero uh, if it comes from any country other than usa uh, will it make it will it make a difference gaurav with with what how you've outlined that that it's a bumper harvest within india is that going to mean though that you know from a price competitiveness that that it's unlikely we're going to you know we're going to get big flows coming through just because you've got so much domestic stuff there and not right now um, because of the good crop that is being harvested now so harvest has just started it will take some time for the harvest pressure to build about 2 weeks but uh, india will still be an importer of more than half a million ton or nearly half a million ton for the year uh, so indian consumption is still higher than the uh, domestic production and uh, because canada is this uh, canada this year does not have much of lentils left uh, the main origin will be australia and australia has a lot of it uh, uh, still in stock so uh, but indians will be coming only when there is a parity in uh, uh, in a small to medium term short to medium term not uh, not uh, not right now because right now there is even after the duty cut the parity is very thin it's um, um, for some ports it's zero for some ports it's uh, plus 5 dollars of some ports it's minus 5 dollars that's it so will not uh, uh, other than say some boats uh, which were already procured at a lower rate um, they will uh, keep coming to india but the big flow is likely to come when indian uh, farmers are done with their uh, sales and that will be something like uh, about two and a half months from now so 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 basically the uh, australian farmers will probably have to wait a while before they actually start to see uh some benefits no, i'm sure the benefits are there uh, if i'm hearing correctly from my australian sources the prices have gone up by uh, 20 to 30 dollars on dct levels already so the parity uh, say before sunday the parity was there at zero duty uh, but because of the uh, duty the parity was not coming now Uh, uh prices uh, in india have not moved much but prices uh, in say canada or in australia have moved so that the parity is thin <coughs> so australian farmers are already uh, benefiting for about 20 to 30 dollars thanks to indian government so so ryan you if you can unmute yourself yeah uh, does that make you happy or are you seeing that 20 dollars increase in your prices the last couple of days Yeah, no, we did. We did actually see twenty dollars on Monday um, straight away. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the I guess the big issue that we're concerned about at our end is the 
is the, the logistics of actually getting getting lentils there. We all know that um, international logistics is a bit of a minefield at the moment. So that's probably the one that's concerning everyone from our end. Right. Logistics is a big issue this year and last year also. Uh, so And that killed the Ramadan demand for Australian pulses this year. So if you see uh, Australian desi chickpeas, all lentils, uh, they did not uh, move much to Pakistan. There was no availability of containers to Karachi. Uh, moreover, even for lentils, <clears throat> the other destination that Australia has is Sri Lanka. Now, because of the forex crisis in Sri Lanka, they, uh, Australia did not move much to that country also. Um, uh, Sri Lankan importers could not pay in uh, US dollars. So some trades happened through Singapore and uh, through uh, uh, Dubai, but still the volume that would have been traded did not trade. So there was, and this uh, container issue is not going to resolve in, uh, to my understanding, will not resolve in the first half of 2022. And uh, the high cost and low availability both will uh, uh, restrict Australian exports to especially Pakistan. Bangladesh still export, uh, imports through boats, but Pakistan does not. And uh, Gaurav, one of the questions we got this week from a lot of people was chickpeas. Mm -hmm. Any news on uh, the chickpea tariff? Can no, no, no. India is uh, <laughs> India is having a big, big crop of chickpeas this year. It's an amazingly big crop. It's a record, and it is um, uh, nearly ten percent higher than the previous record, which was last year only. So the stocks are ample, um, and uh, the prices are low, and government is doing everything because. Uh, chickpea is the main uh, pulse crop in India. Out of total 26 million, uh, only uh, say about 50% uh, is only chickpeas. So 13 million ton is what India exp uh, is expected to produce this year. Uh, I really doubt if uh, that policy will change in the near term. For yellow peas also, for peas and for chickpeas, both. Peas are totally restricted and chickpeas attract a very high uh, custom duty. So no, no relief on no relief on chickpeas anytime soon. No, I don't. Andrew, I don't see that. Andrew, just just going back to that container issue that was mentioned too. That Ryan said uh, you were speaking to someone just today or, or yesterday or something, weren't you? That was confirming that that there is real issues. Yeah, there's, there's, there's still like that that container issue still continues to happen with you know people ordering containers and a they're expensive you know compared mm -hmm. to what they were pre COVID. But B, just the reliability of getting empty containers, the reliability of even getting it, you know, actioned and executed is just really high. And it's just difficult to actually do a trade now. And that's and that's the issue. And look, there's only so much, like I know there's, there's bulk vessels going out of Portland and there's some out of Adelaide, but there's only so many bulk vessels you can do. And, you know, there's a lot of customers that, you know, obviously don't want, you know, bulk shipments and they want they want you know a handful of containers and that's so it's no it's difficult and i think that's going to continue because india is obviously not a a major route uh, from from here so we've got routes obviously into china into singapore and whatnot so it becomes a bit of a congested sort of uh congested route but but thanks gora for giving us a, a filling on what's happening on uh, on pulses I, I thought no point me talking about them when we've got an expert available, so somebody on the ground. My pleasure. And thank um, you for the compliments. No worries. And we've got someone else here. 
who's uh, all over the sort of uh, the geopolitical, all over the uh, the policy and and getting the government to do things. So maybe she can fix some roads for Ryan. <laughs> uh, hold your breath. <laughs> we've got we've got Amelia here from from Grain Growers. Hello, guys. How are you going? What's what's your uh, what's your name and uh, what do you do and all that kind of jazz? Yeah, what's... so I'm Amelia Shaw. I work for Grain Growers Limited, so we're one of the peak national grain bodies. Um, and as Mr. Whitelaw kindly said, um, a- attempting to sway uh, national policies and hopefully Ryan um, deal with some road issues. But as you said, it's, it's quite a difficult <laughs> matter that one. Um, so yeah, that's that's me. And so what's the, what's the big issue at the moment in agriculture? Big, big issue, input costs. Um, we've all probably heard it and seen it and discussed it um, to the nth degree and, and whether what the truth is and the facts and myths are, um, you hear something different every day. I suppose that's the, the real on-the-ground issue. But then I suppose internationally, as Gaurav spoken about, lentils into India, um, we've got an active free trade agreement with India being discussed between Australia and that presents us with some great opportunities and how we can actually make those realised and have a mutually beneficial trade agreement would be would be great. So he's hoping we get some announcements um, with progress for that shortly. So. And at, at the moment, yeah, do you want to know one of the inputs that hasn't gone up with inflation? I would love to know a fact, Andrew. One of, one of the best inputs you can get in a, in a farming business. <laughs> um, Is this something to do with brown snakes again? <laughs> I'm thinking it might be uh, advice of some kind, would it, Andrew? <laughs> it's, it's, it's analysis. You know, we the the Thomas Elder Markets, which is a separate thing to this podcast, <laughs> was 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 free of charge. You know, eighteen months ago. And it's still completely free of charge. Well so, done. So, so there you go. We're helping out farmers by, you know, moving away from the model of having to pay for a good quality <laughs> information. So, so in, charge, in, ta- in terms of the, um, the inputs and stuff, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not really a huge amount other than time, really, that can fix that, isn't it? Like a, really... I suppose levers that you can um, pull when it comes to policy is ensuring that the market is has transparency and that growers have confidence in supply and demand and those prices as well. So there's you know aspects that can be done in, in that regard and grains industry wouldn't be the first and certainly wouldn't be the last in ensuring that there is that transparency. Um, and then I suppose more broadly, Grain growers and others have been calling for um, a market inquiry into the grains industry just to make sure that we're working since um, deregulation. Um, so there, I suppose, some of the things that can be done, ensuring that the competition settings are right, um, ultimately. But it's a long, long time since uh, deregulation, no? It is, it is. And I suppose, as, as our chairman says at Grain Growers, it's you know an opportunity to lift the hood of the, the motor vehicle and check that everything's in working order um not not indicating that anything particular is not functioning but we want to be reaching a hundred billion dollar goal by 2030 um it's it's ensuring that the system's working correctly what about the uh, what about what's the second biggest item oh you're asking someone whose primary job is dealing with trade and uh rural affairs but for me um i suppose the the other big issues are ensuring that we um, 
mm. are dealing with those road issues as well. Um, also, our biosecurity standards, um, ensuring that we're upholding sustainability um, credentials as well. But ultimately, you know, we're an organisation that really tries to listen to growers. And at the moment, we have um, you know a, a survey that's out. So, if you're a farmer, Aussie farmer, grain farmer, um, head to my Twitter page. I'm going to do a bit of shameless plug here, um, and and complete a survey because at the survey. Um, Grower voices are, are really key. Um, I can go to Canberra and badger a, a minister to the nth degree, but if I've got a, a grower's story um, that I can actually take and numbers that say X amount of growers actually believe that this is a problem, um, it really goes up in lights and ministers feel like they can connect with it and, and de- departmental officials too. Um, we're humans and people like to have a name behind a story. So... Please, 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 please. <laughs> it, is, uh, <laughs> it is. It is. It's, it's peculiar, Amelia. You mentioned that because, uh, look, Andrew and myself are obviously very keen on on the use of data to, to tell mm. what's going on and explain. But um, I know that I know when in a, in a in a different iteration of uh, of a role when I'd had some experience doing some reporting for the live export sector. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we present all the data, and that's all good and well. But the, the stuff that cut home the most, whether it was with politicians or with the general public, was those stories around what's going on at that yeah. personal level. You know, what, what's happened to the people in the supply chain, mm. not necessarily the numbers of, you know, this percent went down here and this, you know, it was more when we had stories of people that had moved from, from WA to Victoria because they couldn't, you know, the transport situation there was poor and they, they their business was relying on the live sheep trade and, you know, with the moratorium over there in WA for the three months, that meant that they didn't have work for three months. So yeah. it was it was those stories that that made the biggest impact, not so much. I mean, the data is always important, but it's it's funny how... Uh, oh, exactly. you know, human, human, humans are attracted to that to that personal narrative more than the data. Yeah, like I think the data lays the foundation and gives a, a call and an ask credibility, but it's when it's got that human element and that you're able to, you know, in policy world we we term it as an ability to articulate the harm that a problem is having. Um, if I can say that, you know, Joe Bloggs, the farmer from you know, Kanamala is having this problem or Gundawindi, then it, it really resonates and it can connect. Um, and, you know, that, that's gold um, if we can find those nuggets. So um, please, you know, the survey is great, but there's other avenues and advocacy organisations are, are always eager to talk to farmers to, to hear those stories and provide those case studies. So if you've got that bugbear, and I think that's the thing, surveys, we get survey fatigue. I know with even just my personal life, I get sick of getting surveys, but it's the data and it's the movement of behind an issue. Um, you know, last year we we surveyed over 600 grain farmers and asked the question of what's, other than weather and rain, what what's challenging you and your business? And the top three things were input prices, um, employment, and um, I, I suppose input prices in a, in a different sense um, can, coming back to uh, machinery costs. But um, that really dictated what we focused on as an organisation when we were having those discussions with ministers and even not even developing policy responses, but just generally what we do as an organisation. So, mm. so you, you mentioned you just mentioned then actually the workforce issue. Would that be your, would that be your third biggest concern around what's going on at the moment within the agricultural space behind it, behind imports uh, behind um, inputs and uh, yeah. Um, 
would that be the next one in, in the next um, cab off the rank? Yeah, like I suppose it, it's certainly ensuring that we've got that sustainability of our international labour, a seasonal industry. We're not going to always be able to rely upon full-time Aussie staff members. So it certainly is up there. Um, I, I suppose in when we asked growers what are the top three policy issues and what don't you want grain growers to work on, nobody said that they don't want us to work on anything. Um, everything was still in the mix and was still important, but top issues constantly come back to roads, market access, telecommunications, um, access to, to chemicals and transparency. That, that's generally where it plays in. Um, but then when it comes to the challenges specifically related to a business, workforce last year was particularly um, rampant and, and very much so in the Western um, states. So it was interesting, I suppose, you know, you guys are lovers of data, breaking it down in terms of um, different states and different regions is, is also particularly interesting for us too and, and great for those ministers and um, politicians too to know what what's important to their constituents, particularly coming into a, a federal election period and, and that's why we predominantly have this survey out at the moment to help um, develop our election strategy. Mm, very good. So and I'm not sure now, Andrew, are you still with us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I was just, I was just, I was just, I was just listening. It's just not. It's you just know, so. It's so, so uncommon. Unlike you. <laughs> it's so uncommon to not to not uh, you know have you talk over the top that I just thought you might have had some kind of a power outage or something. Do you want to know the truth? Anyway, I, I'm always an honest person. You went to get a beer. I was trying to. I was trying to see if there was another beer behind the meat at the back of the fridge, <laughs> uh, but but no, there's just. So I was like uh, scurrying around. Where's it gone? Where's it gone? I knew there was one more in there, but it's gone somewhere. Was, that was, was like uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was like me in our first attempt, Andrew, when uh, when um, Renee Cotton Farm Girl was chatting, um, and I ducked off to quickly top up the red wine and came back and just you know kind of talked about all the stuff she had just spoken about. That was very unprofessional of me. Well, it's just it's just some people some people are professional and some people aren't. That's the yeah. problem. Yeah. And uh, so I'm just I'm still having to just have this one beer. So Amelia, Amelia just mentioned. I'm not sure if you heard that bit about the workforce issues as well. Um, I wouldn't mind no, I was, I was I was listening. Yeah. So flicking back to to Ryan quickly because I think Ryan's still on there and hopefully not on mute at the moment. Um, is that is the workforce thing something that's been problematic for you as well this season, or um, is it yet you know yet to come? Yeah, the workforce thing is quite a big issue, and I think it's it's not just agriculture related. Um, um, it's it's across all industries in Victoria at the moment. I was talking to a good friend of mine that spent a couple of weeks in Warrnambool on holidays, and he was saying even the cafes in in Liveig Street and Warrnambool were having to shut down um, through you know lack of staff. They they couldn't open all day in the holiday season, which is kind of unheard of. So well, the good the good thing yeah. about the Bri the Bridgewater Bakery. <laughs> Is that, that is that they they can stay, you know they they can pay all this stuff just off the back of your daily pie and coffee bill. Uh, no, you're mistaking me for my brother there, Cobb. Um, <laughs> that old chestnut. Their overheads. I've uh, I have seen him walk in there myself, and they literally pull the pie and the coffee and sit it on. No words spoken. Yeah. They, they they open the door for him and lay out a red carpet and. What not? But but I guess I've got I've got a, I guess uh, an interesting sort of view on the on the labour thing in that it's definitely not going to go anywhere anytime soon because 
I don't think you're going to see many backpackers wanting to come to Australia uh, this year or the next year because a lot of a lot of backpackers were people who had finished uni, didn't have a job, so we're going to go out and we'll go to Australia for a year, you know, and live in Bondi Beach and whatever, and and then travel around the country and work in you know some bars or work in a work in a farm if likes Orion. Uh, but the reality is though that a lot of those people who and now back to the stage now where as soon as they graduate from uni, they're getting a job. So they don't need to come over or they're just starting on with their life rather than doing a gap year. So I think it's going to be a real challenge because, and also the other thing as well is, a lot of people, in the, when I was in the UK last month, a lot of the questions for people were, geez, you guys locked down because you had six cases. We've got, you know, 600 in this town and, and you guys locked down. I don't think backpackers want to come here and get stuck here. Yeah, do you or, think there's or, a, a bit of rip? Because you came to Australia as a backpacker, did you not, Andrew? Is there I, d I did not come here as a backpacker. <laughs> I came here as a professional. I was I was in demand. Actually, that's that's nonsense. My wife was in demand, and I was a hanger on. Mm. So, but are you saying that, that the, the modern the, day convict? <laughs> yes, the the rep, but the rep. You're saying the reputation may have been damaged, uh, you know, in that in that space for for comfort for, 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 for the short term. And uh, Amelia, I don't know if if you've got any feedback on that, and whether you're hearing that there's a reputational risk and 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 for 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 workers to come over here. Uh, I don't think we've heard explicitly um, that. I, I don't necessarily think you heard you, you heard you heard it here first. Then, <laughs> but, an, an, another piece of breaking news. From, <laughs> But I suppose the the thing is a lot with grain producers that I, I speak to who are, are getting international labour, they're, they're wanting to tap into workers who can come back year on year as well. And it's how we make sure that our visa provisions are accurate. And an ag visa is great, but we've got to make sure that it's accessible to their Northern Hemisphere friends as well who want to come and work here. So um, ensuring that if you were a backpacker, Andrew, or, you, or a skilled um, cab driver is driving a header that you might want to come over here under that provisions then yeah it, that's i suppose what we're wanting to really advocate for um long term wise we've actually one of the things that we probably we spoke quite a bit about you know a bit about grains and we spoke a bit about cattle but i think it's probably time to bring in a dairy farmer mm. got, or, got, or, got, or or even an ex-dairy farmer an ex-dairy farmer Oh, is he? Oh, yeah. he, he spends most of his time talking about dairy. But he, ma I think he's made. I think he's made so much money in dairy that he just doesn't need to do much at all. He just kind of tinkers around the edges of uh, the peri-urban fringe of South Australia. Just just building up property to turn into houses. <laughs> just just fifty thousand townhouses on the suburbs of Adelaide. James, James Stacey. How you going, lads? I, I thought this was Matt's dairy report. So he's, he's the expert on dairy prices I saw earlier today. Uh, no, we had, a, we, had a query, we had a query from a listener to say that if, um, if we could have a chat about what's going on in the global dairy market. And as you know, uh, James, there's only so much that Andrew and I can cover. Well, actually, there might be a spot for an ex-dairy farmer that wants to transition into analysis. No. We could... I've got no idea what's going on these days in the dairy job. I, I just supply hay to them and grain. See. 
that's what I do these days. We did actually, we did reach out to uh, a reputable uh, person in the dairy space that does follow the market both domestically and internationally, um, but they were on a conference call with a client, so they're unavailable. But we probably will, we probably will try and get someone on more learned than us in the dairy space uh, to um, to talk about what's going on because it has been by the look of that global dairy trade index and the associated commodities that spin off from that um the first few um, auctions since the start of the year have been very strong um so it'd be interesting to hear what's going on there but yeah look that's something that's um yeah like like i I picked the last dairy collapse that's why i left the industry before it happened but um yeah interesting talking talking dairy because last year was probably the most profitable year for most dairy farmers where this year the input costs like um Grains up a bit, fertilisers killing them, and and labour is a massive issue for the dairy guys. So they may be like the kiwis are on a record price, and the Australian price, even though it's more based on domestic industries, has pushed up a bit. But the margins are being shrunk by what's going on with um, input prices, and then the beef job's pretty hot, so it's pretty easy to mm. unload your cows and go find something else to do at the moment. So. So, 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 so last year, yeah, like obviously record record dairy prices last year. Yeah, uh, people were making a decent a decent crust last year. Yeah, but there were still people exiting dairy, yeah, and still yep. people exiting just now. Yeah. So, so how do you get people to stay in dairy if you know record prices can't even keep them in? Because we we had the we had the same issue when you think about it. Yeah, back in two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen, there was record or nominal record wool prices. But people were exiting wool. Yeah, like like so. So what what is it about dairy that people are? I think I think the the, the biggest issue most dairy farmers that I I know and communicate with still is around labour. So, and I think because dairy farmers pr- pay people correctly, and that's where I think horticulture is going to be in. It's going to be really interesting with the new laws that have come in around piece rates and wages and stuff, and how. Um, horticulturalists are going to have to play by the book um, and that's going to potentially put some people out of business and, and increase costs for others. So I think that's the next industry or next part of agriculture that's really going to be under the pump and that's you'll see more automation and stuff like that happen. But labour's a, a massive issue and it's quite interesting, you lads and um, ladies talking about labour like I've got two two lads one's 21 he's just finished three months contract harvesting with a crew from victoria went from moree to millicent and like he's 21 made a bit over 20 grand for three months work um and has a job lined up for next harvest and it's yeah the money that some people think they can pay and get staff and you see it all the time people advertise they want experienced operator to drive a a B double and a harvester for for two months, and some people are unreasonable in what they're expecting to be out there. Like the money that you can get if you've got some experience, like forty, fifty bucks an hour, isn't an unrealistic figure for people to be asking um, for for harvest for next year. And the good operators, like contractors, are already stitching people up for next harvest if they can find them. So that's something that in agriculture that isn't going away at all like um having to pay people good money to, to work that's oh, a good point um i mean just and what you're saying there it's not just uh like guys people like your 
your offspring, James, have, have come off farm, but um, you know, obviously, I've, I'm, a, I'm a relatively recent entrant to the agricultural space. Uh, you know, both both in terms of the pig farm I own with Andrew, and 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 coming to the hobby farm I live on, and indeed even an agricultural analyst. I'm, you know, I'm only, I'm not even done ten years in the sector yet. Um, but but both of my kids now are, 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 are kind of currently, or you know, one's just about to start um, in agriculture, and one's been in it since uh, I don't know now about four months or five months. So and these are kids that are you know grew up in kind of you know the edge of Ballarat, but you know they, they, they're pretty much urban kids originally, um, and don't have much in the way of on farm experience. But um, they haven't had any trouble finding some really interesting, good quality work um, pretty much immediately. Yeah, yeah, like you, you're spot on, and like I've got a mate down at down the southeast at Tintinara. He's a, a lad that grew up in Melbourne, left Melbourne when he was 17, I think, went over to Western Australia to work on farms, and now he manages 12,000 acres down at Tintinara, like five, six hundred cattle cropping, loosened production, like, and he's um, only he's a bit under 30, I think, at the moment. Like, there's huge opportunities out there if you're keen um if you're willing to work and you don't have to be a landowner and stuff to be a farmer these days like you can there's plenty of opportunities out there to manage some um corporate or investor type shows which is great for people that want to do it and yeah the opportunities there to make some decent money and i think people are realizing that if you get a job on a farm that has a house in it you're not up for five to eight hundred bucks a week rent like you would be in a city so if you're getting paid a reasonable wage in a house that's provided you miles in front hmm. for sure i mean you know particularly now with all the city dwellers moving to the country the rents in some areas have gone berserk yeah yep now even though the cities are still expanding and chewing up the farmland around the edges so. Well, we, 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 we had that problem before, Matt, as well, didn't we, on a personal level, when we had uh, a, a staff member who wanted uh, a, a potential employee yeah. at a pig farm. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and uh, he, was, he was a perfect candidate, and, but the only issue we had was we couldn't find them a place to live. So we attempted to find them a place to live in Bendigo, and every single place would have like 100 people visiting it for, for a rental. Oh, so it was the, more. It was it was more than that. Yeah, there was no chance of getting this person a, a rental in in or near Bendigo. It was just, um, yeah, it was like it, it was a nightmare. They were, they were they were they were going instantly, and they were going instantly for like multiples of what the actual expected rent should be. It was mm. it was it was sort of city city rates for you know country accommodation. It was pretty pretty bad. So so Jimmy, you've uh, you're in Nuffield as well. Yep, that's right. Uh, what's the uh, What's the uh, what was the 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 main learning from that one? I was looking at the impact of urban growth on on agriculture, and um, yeah, it was interesting that like in Australia we seem to be able to build houses on the most fertile, best rainfall dirt we can find because um, it's cheap. And it was interesting to go to a few places around the world and see where. They're managing the resource a bit better. Like you go around um, Vancouver, British Columbia, yeah, house prices there are dear, but all the farmland is still being farmed and they build the houses on the crappy hills and stuff like that. And considering the floods they had in um, Canada down the rivers in the Fraser Valley a few months ago, that was pretty wise. Most of the farms went underwater, but the houses were all out of the water, so that was pretty pretty handy. But 
um, yeah, so and in places like China where the bulldozing villages turning that back into land and then building high rises for the for the locals that that wouldn't probably fly in Australia, but you end up with not losing too much land um, from agriculture, which is pretty important for down the track. And but then you go to places like the Philippines and uh, we, I went to the um, International Rice Research Institute, which if anyone gets the opportunity to go to is a pretty awesome place. You've got trials there that have been going for 50 or 60 years. But um, you've got, like, the people that were working there said how they used to have no issues getting labour and they were sort of in um, country regions and now I think Samsung's built a factory down the road they can't get any labour for agriculture because people can work in the factory and the houses are encroaching on all the better better farmland in, in the Philippines and forcing farmers to less productive country. And when you've got a country like the Philippines that isn't even self-sufficient in rice, that's a fairly big problem for them down the track. So, yeah, it just what I did just highlights how important land is for agriculture and feeding us and how we don't value it enough i don't think and are prepared to lose it like as town town near me mount barker had 1200 hectares rezoned for for housing they're going to go from a population of about twenty five thousand to sixty thousand people and it's all highly productive was irrigated horticulture land that's going to have houses built all over it but yeah but if you yeah. if you're the landowner if you're the, yeah you'll be you'll be pretty pretty stoked with that well, there's, yeah. there's, far, there's farms right now, you know, we're on the western side of Ballarat and all of that western side of Ballarat's pretty much slated for housing and, and they're going up at a rate of knots at the moment. There's been a four or five big kind of farmed areas that were all, you know, all had cattle on it or sheep on it uh, before when we first came to, to Ballarat and now it's, uh, you know, one of them is a Bunnings there and there's a, you know, Delacombe Town Centre and there's a, a swag of houses being built up all around them. So, yeah, it's just the way it goes. Yeah, no, it it is the way it goes, and sort of after doing the doing my nuffield on it, it's like well, you come back and go. It can be managed better than it is in some places, and like that does have consequences. But if like if people know what the rules are, it takes them a while to. Um, well, that's that's exactly what's up. That's what's happening around here as well, though, because the building houses near me. And yeah. that's why I'm getting so many bloody yeah, they're snakes. Pushing the, they're pushing the snakes <laughs> up to your place. <laughs> hey, J James, just um, just moving away briefly from yep. the from the uh, you know the the kind of Nuffield. What are they called? The um, masons of the free yeah, the yeah. Freemasons of agriculture. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll probably get we'll probably get in trouble for saying that. That's, we're, that's we're, right. We're never yeah. going to get Nuffield now. Mm. <laughs> no. I don't think we're on the cards for enough of it anyway, but um, but you've got to be able to go overseas to go on enough food. Yeah, that's true. I'm not a big fan of flying. Um, a James, five, a five week tour of Victoria and Tasmania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can, yeah. Can I take the train across uh, Siberia? Um, uh, you're also in the uh, in the hay market, and that's one market we look at from time to time. But again, yeah. like like dairy, it's not um, it's not our primary focus. Give us a yeah. quick snapshot of what's going on at the moment in that space. Are you reckon? And Nuffielders have got a special handshake. <laughs> hay growers have got an even better handshake than that. Um, yeah, like the hay job's an interesting one because you guys have had a look at it and it's, the transparency is um, fairly light on in, in the hay sector. But obviously export job is a bit on the nose because of the relationship with China and the ability to export out of a few plants. So hay production's been pulled back 
a lot in um, export regions, but domestically there's pretty strong demand. Like obviously, East Coast rainfall sort of impacted that a bit, but around in South Australia, you've got a lot high cattle and sheep um, prices, so there's demand from people to feed those animals, which is good. Mm. And there, there wasn't a huge amount of hay done last year. I mainly supply the um, the horse market, and that is actually a growing market, I think, at the moment. So that's that's pretty good and working pretty well for us with what we're doing. So, so are you, that's one of those ones where I didn't like. Obviously, we've seen you know in the in the in the press wine and beef and uh, rock lobsters and all you know all these commodities that have been impacted. Obviously, barley as well with China, but. So you're saying hay was also that, – that seems to have flown under the radar a bit. I've not heard, no, heard any one. No, no, we, we had uh, – what's his name? Ryan. Ryan from – On the podcast early days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He John, John's yeah, John's. yeah, yeah. I'm just, yeah no, like, I'm, we had it on. I'm saying the, the mainstream media doesn't really talk about the hay space. It's just not important enough, James. No, it's not, and, and it's a pretty closed shop. And the exporters um, – indicated to their growers that they wouldn't need as much product and they did it before people planted crops so then they could plant something else. So, um, yeah, it was pretty sensible strategy from them. I, I don't know if the ACCC actually looked at what happened or not, <laughs> if it would be terribly legal, but um, it, it did happen. So I think, yeah, people were forewarned that there was going to be a reduction in demand and considering the freight rates at the moment for containers or it's probably a good space not to be in at the moment um like yeah and until people get approvals to export again it's going to be slower than what it is but i'm sure there's there's a lot of like it's pretty closed shop the export job and i'm I'm sure there's still hay um plenty of hay leaving the country and plenty of deals that have been done but um yeah i think that that sort of it's going to keep chugging along and when the demand's back there again, it'll crank up. But who knows when that will be and if a change of government or if we'll be getting on better with China or not in the future or not. Um, I'm not sure. See, I think, see, I think, see what happens. I think that's, um, that's likely to be a, uh, you know, a few years off yet. I, I know when um, there was issues uh, in 2010 with uh, China and Norway around a, uh, Around a, uh, an award of the Nobel Prize that they didn't like, and uh, I think that particular um, tension period of tension um, lasted for about five or six years before they were back, you know, on favourable terms again with China. So yeah. I, sus I suspect we're in for a few more years yet, um, unless unless we get, you know, maybe maybe uh, if there's a change of government, perhaps and um, and and the right kind of overtones are made, perhaps we might be able to get an earlier seat at the table. But um, yeah, I, I suspect it's not going to occur quickly. And and in saying that, like um, Zach, my oldest lad, he's got mates up Jamestown Way, which are in the hay job, and like they were some of them, the, the later ones to the party, have, they did hay for a couple of years, and the last couple of years it's got rained on and ruined. So they've sold their balers and they're just running more livestock. They've given up on the hay job. So it is interesting how people will jump. Like the hay job probably sort of 17, 18, 19 was pretty profitable business. Um, and in the last couple of years, it's backed off a bit. So people are probably readjusting their their focus to do something else. And, and hay is a fairly capital-intensive job. Like, you need a lot of equipment at hay time. You need um, suitable storage to store the hay in. Um, and then there's the risk of 
getting or like storing it and then having to get paid down the track. Whereas if you grow grain, put it in a truck, send it to the silo and get get your money in a week, it's a lot different. So um, yeah, hay hay can be good when the when the price is good on that export side of things, but it can be a bit slow when the market's not so interested in your product. Mm, you've got to make hay when the sun's shining, I guess, eh? Yeah, no, that's right. Well, I reckon that's half past eight. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's about an hour. Probably, probably call it a pull-up stumps, so to speak. And I think so. I think so. It's been a good, yeah, it's been a good, um, a good kind of, like the first time around we had quite a diverse coverage and this time's been equally diverse but interesting. So it's been great to have, um, I'm, I'm really enjoying this this format, um, Andrew. Obviously, we're still going to do podcasts with guests that's kind of pre-recorded. We've got, we've got a good one coming up on we have, Wednesday. We have. Really, but a really a big one. Yeah. But I, I, think, I think I'm finding this to be quite nice to have um, the interaction you know, it feels a bit like when you when you listen to talkback radio is what I feel like. But it's nice to have that variety of people on, and I'm re- really thankful for those that have joined and listened, and those that have been happy to come on and speak. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's been great. So um, thanks for thanks for that. And um, I think Andrew, unless you've got anything else to add, I'll um, I'll see you when you've got nothing on. I think I'm just hoping that you press record though, <laughs> because I didn't press record. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Oh, and didn't you record it with that other setup? Yeah, I forgot uh, that didn't work. Um, no, I've got record on the top left-hand corner, so it is recording. I've got a bit, of, bit of a worry there, but I think you're right, though. It's it's good because uh, it's sort of it's quite easy to organise. You just press go and go, and then it's quite interesting that we can get like a whole bunch of different diverse things, just little snippets. It's almost like we're doing like ten podcasts in one, but just with a little tiny bit of information on people's area. Like, and what do we have tonight? Gorav. Amelia, Ryan, and James. Yep. So a lot of lot of different information on different things. And again, anyone can put their hand up and say, hey, that guy's talking nonsense, I want to jump yeah, in. Yeah, you just dropped, you just dropped off there. I don't know if that was your mic playing up. But yeah, any, by, by all means, if you're on, put your hand up and jump in or ask a question next time around. Um, the other thing would be to drop us a line if you're keen to jump on as a speaker and you've got something you want to talk about in advance and we can tee it up. But um no, it's been excellent. Thanks for listening.